I pray that uh, the Lord would just uh, bless you all through this message. I, I just have asked him to give me the right words to, to speak, but I just uh, pray that, uh, that we would all have some, some uh, just, just a, a good time studying God's word this evening. Uh, if you guys would all uh, just stand for the reading of God's word, uh, if you could please turn with me to Matthew 7. We're going to be reading Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You may be seated. Lord, I just pray that uh, tonight you might uh, reach some hearts, that you might uh, just help me to be a, a, a channel for your truth, that you might just uh, give me the right words to say uh, and, and bless your people uh, as we get into your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Excuse me. Well, a uh, very dear brother of mine, close to my heart, uh, once told me that a man can't preach what he doesn't know. And uh, there's definitely some, some truth in that, so I'm going to, uh, I'm going to preach what I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the Lord has really done some amazing things in, in my heart and in my life recently, uh, and shown me a lot of things that I just simply could not see before. And I believe that, that we all as believers have a responsibility to be good stewards of the truth that God reveals to us. And that means sharing it appropriately and fully and, and to the best of our human abilities, that, that we be, a, as I said before, a channel for, for his truth to others. And the thing is that God's truth, it, it's, really, it's actually something that's, that's quite violent when you think about it. When you get into God's word, there's stuff in there that sometimes we tend to avoid. There are things in there that we're like, ooh, wow, that kind of hurts, you know? I mean, as it says, you know, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, uh, you know, so I mean, God, God's truth is is not something that that is is always uh, you know mellow and and soft and fun and and cuddly. You know, it's <laughs> there there are things in there that 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 can tear you in half uh, if you you know once you understand the, the true meaning of them. But uh, unfortunately, too too often, you know, in in churches across America today. Um, the blade is taken off that sword in, in some ways and replaced with, with uh, something that, that doesn't quite cut to the heart. Uh, it's, you know, it's the worst thing you can possibly do in this day and age to offend people and, uh, you know, as far as the, the world is concerned. And so a lot of times I think churches across America uh, have, you know, kind of dulled the, the blade, so to speak. And, and I think that uh, it's important for us to understand what some of these sharper truths in God's word are. Uh, having said that, you know, I'm, I'm accountable for everything that I, you know, preach this evening. Uh, everything that I bring up, uh, I'm, I'm preaching to myself more than anything here. So, um, but anyway, having said that, I just, uh, I, I want to get into some, some we're going to be going over some, some basic truths that we've all studied here uh, over the years. Um, but we're going to be kind of digging a little bit deeper tonight into some of these things that we're familiar with. Um, 
we all know that God is sovereign. God is accountable to no one. God is in complete control of the universe and his creation. God answers to nobody. Uh, he is God. Um, we've also studied many times about how God will save his people from their sins. Uh, the, the word clearly shows that. Uh, we've talked many times about how God will change the hearts of his children. Those who are truly his, God changes their hearts. God also equips his people with holiness, the holiness that they need to spend eternity with him. And, of course, along in the same line as that, you know, God sets apart those who are truly his. He pulls them away from the world. But uh, how do these truths apply to us? I mean, in practical terms, you know, how do we apply these in our daily lives? I mean, how do we use these truths uh, to examine our own hearts and our own spiritual conditions? Um, as I said, God saves his people from their sins. And what I mean by that is that only God can truly free a man's heart from the bondage of sin. And when I, when I say bondage, I mean the being enslaved to, to a continual sin. Someone who is lost has no other choice but to go through life just practicing sin. That is, it's someone who is unregenerate does not have the ability uh, you know, to, to live righteously for God. And a lot of times this can be manifested in, in terms of uh, external things, like drunkenness or, or someone who's abusive or, or things like that. Um, but more commonly, it's, it's the internal things that, that only we know about in our own lives, the secret things that are in our minds and our hearts. Uh, you know, but everyone struggles with sin while here in the flesh, whether you're saved or not. Uh, that's, that's pretty obvious. Um, but someone who is stuck in a pattern of continual sin, or, or a pattern of disobedience, you might say, uh, is in bondage, whether they want to admit it or not. And in such a case, it, with, with such a person like this, their flesh, you could say, rules over them. And uh, it, it may not even be apparent to anybody but them. Uh, it may not even be apparent to them, but the bottom line is that they're enslaved. And that's kind of what I'm talking about here. Um, you know, I, I'm, it, I'm not a gifted theologian. Uh, I'm not uh, a, a talented orator or anything like that. But, uh, and, I, and I can't explain to you exactly how, but I can tell you that only God can break a man free from that bondage uh, through the true biblical repentance that he grants and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross is sufficient payment for their sin um, and his resurrection. And I, I won't even dare try to explain the mechanics of how that works, because I can't. Um, but I, knew, no, I do know that, that that's, that's what God does, and that's, that's what it takes to break that bond of, uh, of sin. And when God saves a person, he gives them a new heart. He, he opens their eyes to see their way versus his way. Um, and and I, can, I can say this to you because I know it. I've experienced this. And... Uh, uh, the best way I can describe it is not with my own words, but with Proverbs 16.25. And you might want to write these verses down if you have something uh, handy. But, uh, sorry, I should have mentioned that initially. But Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And that becomes a lot more true uh, when God opens your eyes to, uh, to who you actually are as a, as a, as a sinner. When I said God gives people who he saves a new heart, I mean also that he gives them a deep, profound realization 
of their complete and, and total utter hopelessness apart from Christ uh, and a fundamental change of heart, a change in, in the direction of their heart, you might say. The new heart that comes with regeneration is one that seeks and delights in obedience to God's word instead of the opposite. You know, uh, before someone is saved, I mean, they, they don't seek the things of the Spirit. The natural man can't. It, he doesn't. Uh, he seeks the, the things of the flesh. A lot of times, you know, might think that uh, it's seeking after the things of the Spirit, but if you're not saved, you simply can't. You're not truly seeking after the things of God. And so God has to give his people a new heart. That's part of the process of, of salvation. But God also equips his people with holiness. He sets them on that path to righteousness. And uh, so they are now in Christ, and therefore now able to walk as he did, whereas they were unable before, because they have the new nature. Um, they're commanded to do so, and they are empowered to do so by the Holy Spirit. And so with this comes you know, victory over sin, uh, perseverance uh, through temptation and trials, uh, and the Holy Spirit you know, is what guides us into all truth. God has also given us his word, and, uh, you know, and, and you're able to actually understand it and, and grasp it as, as you should uh, through the revelation of his spirit. Uh, and in that, we get instruction on all things. Uh, it's God's revealed word, and it's our only standard for truth. And so, that's, so through those things, these, this is what God uses to equip people with the holiness that they need. I mean, if God's people are to spend eternity with him, some preparation is, is necessary before that's going to happen. So, just as God is sovereign in salvation, God is also sovereign in the process of sanctification. So, if you would all turn with me real quick to Ezekiel 36, uh, 36, 23 through 27. I'll read. Ezekiel 36, 23. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries, will bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. These are some of the most beautiful words in Scripture. And here God is saying to his people, you will be clean. I will take you and I'm, I will scrub you down, is like what he's saying here. Uh, you know... These are people that have, that have profaned his name, people that are, have just, they're filthy. And uh, God is saying, I will take you and I will make you clean. It's God's will. So it's not, an, it's not a matter of an individual person trying to be clean. Uh, it, it's not a matter of somebody, you know, working in their own flesh to try to uphold every facet of God's law. It's, it's God who does the cleansing here. Through Christ, it, this happens in a couple of ways. Through Christ, to cleanse us positionally, so that we may stand before God uncondemned, um, which is positional sanctification, which we've learned about, but also through the Spirit and the Word. And that happens you know, by, uh, it's a progressive process. In other words, it's progressive sanctification. 
And so as we experience the new life he gives with the new heart, you'll find the new heart seeks righteousness, not, not carnal things that, that uh, you, know, you used to be interested in. Um, you know, part of progressive sanctification, it, it initially starts out with, with true biblical repentance, a, a departing from idols and filthiness and all the things that God hates. Um, and fellowship with God is part of that as well. And so God, God will cleanse those that are his from the inside out. Um, and so in that process, God also sets his people apart. Uh, you know, God cleanses his people, set, sets them apart. In Exodus, uh, we, read, we read how God separated his people from, uh, from Egypt. And uh, it says, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land, concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for an heritage. I am the Lord. So we're learning here about how God will separate his people. But in 2 Corinthians 6, we read also, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So God, God separates his children. He actively, uh, and, and he will motivate his children to separate themselves as well, but it's God that does the separation, both from bondage to sin and from the world. And so God sets his people apart for himself. And the Bible kind of clearly illustrates that in many different ways. So there's a lot to consider here. Uh, We've talked about Christ saving people from the bondage of their sins, which is absolutely, absolutely true. And those of us who have experienced that firsthand uh, can glory in that miracle that that God has done in our lives and in our hearts. Um, Unfortunately, um, many people, many people are self-deceived about that, about their own spiritual condition. And I can say this, uh, having experienced this, I believe. Uh, you know, many people think that they're freed uh, when they are, in fact, still living in bondage, uh, with regular habitual sin, uh, regular disobedience, um, sometimes even obstinate disobedience, you know, willfully sinning, habitually, regularly. Uh, it might be something that's a struggle. It might, it might even be something that you, you feel convicted about to some degree. But the bottom line is that this, what I'm talking about here, this means committing sin. And unfortunately, uh, the Bible indicates that such, such people are self-deceived if they claim to follow Christ, if they claim to have Christ's spirit in them. In 1 John 3, 9-11, through 11, we read, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. 
In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doth, doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And so, this is something that's obviously kind of controversial, and because there's a lot of, you know, discussion and, and uh, strife over, over these kinds of verses. And so, a lot of times, people will look at some verses like this and just say, yeah, but, you know, if I receive Jesus as my Savior, I'm okay. You know, this ultimately doesn't matter. I'm going to heaven. And that seems to be the attitude that a lot of people have. Um, and unfortunately, it's just, uh, if, you know, if Jesus is not your Lord and your Savior, or your Lord first, um, you can't count on him to be your Savior. Um, in Hebrews twelve fourteen, uh, the Bible says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Um, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, uh, we read, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul makes a clear distinction here. Uh, between how these people were before they were born again and how they were washed afterward. So, am I saying that a, that a, a Christian doesn't struggle with sin? I mean, absolutely not. I mean, we're all, we're all familiar with that. I mean, uh, we're all familiar with the passage from Paul in Romans 7, Romans 7, 14, um, where Paul is, is dealing with the struggle. And he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do allow not, for what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So is sin still present in the flesh of the believer? Yeah, of course. So what am I saying here then? Again, am I saying that a a true Christian doesn't struggle with sin? No, I'm absolutely not saying that. Am I saying that a true Christian can live in a pattern of ongoing, regular, habitual, obstinate disobedience and become re-enslaved? to the sinful lusts of this world? Absolutely not. In 1 John 5, 2-4, we read, By this we know we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And so I've talked about this with people before, and... Um, you know, a lot of times people kind of fall into the, the trap of, of the decisional regeneration uh, mindset or, or <laughs> whatever you want to call it, uh, where people say, well, you know, I prayed a prayer once, or, well, you know, I filled out the card and the youth pastor told me I was saved, um, so, hey, I'm, I'm good to go. And, um, but if that's what you're hanging on to, I mean, there's a problem, because salvation is not 
an end. Salvation is a means by which God separates his people and, and sanctifies them. And so, like I said, if, that's, if, that's, if, if you're hanging on to something like that, there might be a problem there. And a lot of times, the same people will say, you know, I, I, still, I still can't kick this sin thing, and I know it's wrong, and I guess you could say I'm disobedient, but whatever, I'm, I'm still a Christian. I know I'm saved, so, you know, a lot of times people have the attitude, I, I know I'm saved, so I can just do this and ask for forgiveness later. And um, I don't know. The problem is, like, you don't just pray a little prayer, and that's it. Uh, you know, God's children do not simply put their lives on autopilot and cruise on into heaven. Um, I mean, if, if, this is, if this is an attitude that, that you've had, or if it's something you struggle with, and if you're, unba- if you're unable or unwilling to shake that thing that just keeps coming back, if it's sin that has just, has just continually conquered you for, for months or years, if it's something that is just not, you're, you're just unable to conquer it, um, you know, these are the hallmarks of an unregenerate heart. I mean, the word says so. And that's the, that's the sad truth. I mean, I'm just saying that, uh, you know, if God has conquered you, he has conquered the sin that's in you as well. I mentioned that God gives his children new hearts, and the new heart is one that is willingly obedient to his word. And so, but what do I mean about the, by the new heart as far as, you know, the other uh, aspects of that? Um, when God gives you the new heart, it involves relinquishing of the will. Uh, I mentioned before, God will make you see the difference between your way uh, and his way. Uh, in Proverbs 16.25, again, we read, There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It also involves relinquishing of the mind and our continual surrender of our efforts to control and understand every aspect of our lives. In Proverbs 3, verse 5, uh, some of you may remember this verse. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. So the new heart doesn't thirst after the things of the flesh anymore, uh, but it thirsts after obedience to God's word. So, um, again, back in, in 1 John 5, uh, I mentioned, for this, is, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. So it's about obedience, really. And it's about our desire and our ability to be obedient. A changed heart results in willing obedience to God's word. Um, and the thing is, obedience is not, it's not an optional thing. It's, it's not like, a, like an extra credit kind of thing. It's something that will be manifest in the believer's life. Uh, in Titus 3, verse 4, uh, we read, But after that, the kindness and love of our God, of God our Savior, toward man appeared not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. So am I saying that we're saved by our obedience and good works? No, not at all. Because in Ephesians we read, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, but uh, 
the thing is, obedience and good works will be made manifest in the lives of those whom God saves. I mentioned before how God equips his people with holiness. God sanctifies those who he has set aside to spend eternity with him. Um, so considering the verses that, that I've read here tonight and the things that I've been talking about, you kind of have to wonder, I mean, how can it be that someone who's disobedient and indulging in the lusts of the flesh, I mean, how can such a person assume that they're destined for eternity with the thrice holy God? I just don't understand that. I mean, as we discussed, God washes his people from their sin. God trains them in holiness through the word, by the way of the Holy Spirit, by fellowship with the brethren, um, you know, by, by, by preaching, by, uh, you know, fellowship in, in the Lord's church. God also provides them with, with righteousness in Christ Jesus. Uh, in Romans 5.21, we read, That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So God makes his people presentable to himself. Again, uh, in Ezekiel 36, uh, we read, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. So, in addition to all these things, we know that God sets his people apart as far as setting people apart from the world, from the, from the things of the world. Um, we, have to, we have to examine ourselves. I mean, how closely are our, are our hearts tied to the things of this world? Um, because this world and everything in it, all its sinful stuff that's, that's just the, the result of, of the corruption of the fall, everything here is going to meet a fiery end in judgment someday. And so how much do we love this world that we're, that we're living in? Uh, the 17th century Puritan preacher Thomas Manton said, David professeth himself to be a stranger and a pilgrim, not only when he was hunted like a partridge upon the mountains, but when he was in his palace and in his best estate. We are not to renounce our comforts and throw away God's blessings, but we are to renounce our carnal affections. We cannot get out of the world when we please, but we must get the world out of us. So, again, we have to examine ourselves and see how much do we love this world that, we're, that we have to stay in uh, for the time being. I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> do, you, do you love the stuff of the world? I mean, do you love the mass-produced filth that lost people can't get enough of? Uh, or would you consider yourself a stranger and a pilgrim in this world? Um, if you're a child of God, you know that this world is not your home. Are you being set apart? Is God using that changed direction of your heart that I spoke about to, to move you away from the things of this world uh, and toward the things that, uh, and, the, and the people that are his? I mean, right now, how many of us would rather be home watching TV or sleeping or eating, you know, uh, I saw some heads perk up there, it's like, yeah, right here, um, or do you love to be with the people of God? Um, in 1 John 3, 13 and 14, we read, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you, we know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death, so, you know, people of God love to be around each other. And uh, that's why I love being here, uh, talking with you this evening. Um, again, I'm not the most eloquent speaker, obviously, 
But the thing is, um, <laughs> does this sound like fanaticism? Does it sound like crazy talk? I mean, it's like, uh, you know, all this separation from the world, um, you know, allowing God to cleanse you and, and just be apart, be separate. Does it sound insane, or does it sound like something you can identify with? You know, I mean, these things are impossible to grasp until you've experienced them. Um, I mean, you can have head knowledge, and you, you can study these things for years. I mean, you can study these things for decades. Um, I mean, but you can't find the way yourself. You have to have the heart knowledge required to experience these things. I mean, head knowledge won't get you into the kingdom. I mean, as you guys know, I mean, there are famous theologians, there are respected authors with like, you know, 40 titles after their name. Uh, There are pastors with huge ministries, uh, TV evangelists with thousands of followers. And these people are lost. I mean, they are. I know it sounds weird to hear that, but a lot of these people are lost, and they're leading people astray. I mean, the Bible warned us about this. And the, the problem is, I mean, our culture of, of comfort that we live in certainly helps. I mean, people want comfort and assurance. People want comfort and assurance more than obedience and humility before the Lord. I mean, all these big TV ministries and, and all these other guys that, that, that have, you know, the, the, uh, the prosperity gospel and all that kind of stuff, I mean, you know that their doctrine isn't right. I mean, those people are not truly pointing people to Christ in the right way, in a biblical way. The Bible warns us about false teachers. Like I said, people want comfort and assurance. They will not have obedience and humility before God. In Matthew 7, 13, and 6, 13 through 16, you, bet you guys may remember this verse. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by by their fruits. So he's saying that there few there be that find it. The initial verses that we read, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. It's important to note that these are religious people that the Lord is talking about here. These are people that, they said, Lord, Lord, you know, have we not gone out and, and, and prophesied in, in thy name. We've, in, in your name, we've cast out devils. We've done all these wonderful things. I mean, these are not lost people of the world. These are people that most likely he's talking about are religious people. And these are people that the Lord himself says, depart from me, ye that work inequity. You know, I never knew you. I mean, that's, it's a terrifying thing to, to, to contemplate here. But he goes on to say, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house, which built his house upon the sand. 
And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So are you doing the will of the Father? Are, are we, as a church, doing the will of the Father? In Ezekiel, I read about how God promised that he would give those that are his a new heart and a new spirit. He says, And a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. So if you're saved, it means that God has put his spirit and a new heart in you. You have that. He knows you. And in this context, knows or, or knew, as we've, we've talked about before, has a very specific meaning. We've studied many times about how the term knew means uh, like an intimate knowledge. In Genesis 4, verse 1, and Adam knew, Eve, Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived, and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. So knew, or knows, means, you know, an intimate knowledge, in that sense. But if God has never known someone in that way, they're going to hear those terrifying words on that day. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And iniquity just means sin or transgression. And to work iniquity means to commit that sin or transgression habitually, or practice it, you might say. So, how do we apply this? Has Christ freed us from our sin? If he hasn't, in some way or another, you're a worker of iniquity. I mean, there's no middle ground. Has God given you a new heart? Do you truly thirst after righteousness as shown in the person of Jesus Christ and in the, in the Bible? Do you strive to be obedient because you want to? Or is it just something that you know you probably should do, but kind of, yeah, I'm going to go watch TV? Do you strive to be obedient because you want to? Or are you still on that road that seemeth right unto a man, going your own way? Is God equipping you with holiness? Is he drawing you to him? And I don't necessarily mean, is he doing incredible things in your life every single day, uh, you know, where, you know, heaven and earth are moving to draw you to God. I'm just saying, is he drawing you to him in your heart through his word? Are you reading his word? Is it a priority in your life? Or again, do I just sound like a fanatic? to you? Are you being set apart? Are you on that narrow way? Do you have a, a special love for others, a supernatural love for others that love the truth as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ? Do you love the brethren? Second Corinthians thirteen five says, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? So it is essential for all who claim Christ to examine themselves regularly. It's, it's totally important to do that. And as I said before, salvation is a means, it's not an end. It's not something that you reach the point where you're saved, and then you're good to go. You just 
kind of put things on cruise control and you just kind of wait to get to heaven. That's not how it works. Um, the Bible will back me up on that. Um, again, I can't preach what I don't know. I mean, these are things that have been revealed to me recently. So I would say if you're unsure about any of these things or if, or if any of this stuff resonated with you at all, just ask God to show you if there's anything wrong in your heart, in your life, if there's anything that you need to get right with him on, if you do need it to that true biblical repentance that maybe you're not sure you've ever truly experienced, God will be faithful to his word. I would just ask you to ask him, and he will be faithful. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you again for this opportunity to preach to the people tonight. Lord, I don't know if anything I said resonated with anybody, but uh, Lord, I know that your word doesn't return void. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come here tonight and to have fellowship. Lord, we are the most privileged people to ever walk the face of the earth, historically speaking. Lord, I just pray that you would just help us to be good stewards of the truth that you reveal to us in our daily lives, and in this church that we are so thankful for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.